0: Thanks very much, Joanne, for leading us in those prayers. Well, if you've uh, got a Bible, do um, open it back up to that passage that we were um, looking at earlier, Colossians chapter 2, uh, starting this morning at verse 6. Now the, uh, the story goes about a professor who began his class by pulling out an empty glass jar and holding up for the whole class to see. He uh, then put into the jar some large stones, some stones that he had beside him, until they reached the top, uh, at which point he said to the class, it's full, right? Well, there were general murmurings of agreement. Uh, until then, the professor pulled out some smaller stones, more like pebbles this time, and shaking them around as he, as he poured them in, he proceeded to fill in all of the gaps. At which point, the professor said to the class, okay, so now it's full. And there were general agreements again from the class, but that wasn't it, because then the professor pulled out something else from his desk, a pot with some sand in it. And he did the same thing, pouring the sand in slowly and shaking it around until every single space was filled up. And he said to the class, well, now it's full. Now, wh- why do I uh, start with this story this morning? Because I think in some ways it's going to hopefully help us to see something of Paul's argument in this little section that we're looking at. See, as we uh, saw briefly last week, it seems that some people were trying to deceive the Colossian believers with these fine-sounding arguments. And while we don't know what those arguments exactly were, they almost certainly had something like this at the base. It's great that you have Christ. He's really important. In fact, he's a bit like those first rocks in the jar. It's good to start with him. But as you look closer, can you see that there are a few extra things that you could add on? There are some gaps that Christ isn't giving you. Perhaps perhaps you could add in some pebbles, some extra rules for you to keep. Or, Or perhaps you could add in some sand, some extra experiences for you to seek out and enjoy. And then, only then can you really have life to the full. You can have the full Christian experience. Well, this morning, in this section, Paul wants to, in no uncertain terms, correct this way of thinking. He wants to say to the Colossian Christians and to us, don't think that there is anything lacking in your life if you have Christ. Your life is filled to the absolute full, to the brim in him. You are filled to the full in him. Don't ever think you need to add anything at all to Christ. In fact, pushing the analogy a little bit here, I admit. But anyway, Paul would want to say to you and to me this morning, if you're going to try to add something to Christ, you know what you're actually doing? You're removing him altogether from your jar. And instead, you are trying to fill that jar up yourself in your own strength, with your own experiences, by your own work. And the reality is that you're always going to come up empty. It is only ever in Christ that you will be filled to the full. Uh, Look there to Colossians 2 then. And with this in mind, see how Paul opens our section this morning. Verse 6, he writes, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There's an exclusivity here, I think, that's already clear in just these two little phrases. First, as you received Christ as Lord. This is a great summary, isn't it, in some ways of what we've already seen in Colossians, if you've been with us over the past few weeks. The ones that Colossians have put their faith in is Christ the Lord, And Paul has been reminding them so far that there is no other Lord like the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've heard, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the Lord before all things. He has reconciled to himself all things. Christ is the mystery of God, who all of history was pointing to, who's now been revealed. And in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is who Jesus is, Lord, absolutely over everything, including the Colossians themselves, who now are confessing him as their Lord. And so then, having reminded the Colossians of this truth, of Christ as Lord and alone as Lord, then Paul says that second phrase there. And the command here, I think, hangs over the rest of verse 7, but it also hangs over the rest of this book. This is what Paul wants us to take away. This is what we should do. If Jesus is Lord, we should walk in him. And the way Paul says this in the original Greek, there and the form that it's in, is like this Live in Christ. Conduct all of your life in Christ. And then continue to do that every single day from now on. As Christians, How do we become stable, mature, and grow? Verse 7 7 tells us that first we receive Christ, and then we spend the rest of our days walking with him and him alone, setting our roots down into him, building ourselves up in him, establishing a firm commitment in him. All of that by God's strength and help, not our own. And then see the final result there at the end of verse seven? We abound in thanksgiving. A life walking in Christ is a life abounding in thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to him for all that he has done for us and all that he is to us. We're gonna come back to, to these verses at the end as we conclude as well. But for now, just notice the attractiveness of the language that's here in verse seven of walking in Christ, of what maturing in him looks like. It means you're rooted, you're unshakable, you're drawing in the day-to-day nourishment that you need. You're built up, you're growing strong. You're established, you're strengthened and confirmed in your faith to the very end and you're abounding in thanksgiving. You're not sullen, you're not downbeat, you're not grumpy, you're not complaining but you are thankful satisfied and happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the fullness of walking in Christ and Christ alone. So while in some ways these words are a command, I think they should also be an encouragement to us this morning. An encouragement. This is what life in Christ can look like for you. Often the Christian life, I guess, from outside, can be seen to be boring, rules-oriented, stuffy, whatever you want to say. But this isn't what these verses are betraying. This is life to the full, isn't it? Christ and the good news he brings is a fount of unending strength, of unending help, of unending joy to us as Christians this morning. So if you're going to mature as a Christian, if you're going to grow, don't ever think you need to add anything to him. Instead, run to him again and again. Get to know him better, get to know what he has done for you better. As a fountain just keeps on giving its water, no matter how much you draw from it, so Christ is just like that fountain. You can draw on him every single day and he will never run dry. Listen to that language that Jesus himself said right, in John chapter 4 that we read earlier. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So as we begin this morning at Great Vic, how are we going to grow together and individually by continuously running to Jesus and drawing again and again from the water that he gives us? So in these opening Two verses, Paul is saying to the Colossians and to us, You've received Christ, so now continue to walk in Him every single day. Live your lives completely in Him. And then jump on to where He goes next, because He says here, Do not walk in anything else. We've already seen the exclusivity of what Paul's pointing to in verses 6 and 7 as he's told us to walk in Christ and not said anyone else, but now it's made clear. Listen to what he says in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, there's another option out there for the Colossian Christians and for us this morning, We maybe have heard of Christ. We've received him in our lives. But then we're kind of tempted to think, well, maybe I just need to add something else, a little bit something else, a little bit more to Christ. That will give me the edge as a Christian. That will help me mature as a Christian. Maybe that's something that Christ can't give, but I'm going to go seek it out. And obviously in Colossae, there were people who were trying to push the believers there to think like this. Did you see how, how strongly Paul put it there? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Take you captive, that's strong language, isn't it? But this is what Paul is saying that these false teachers are trying to do. They're trying to lead people from the freedom and joy that are in Christ back to some kind of Slavery. Slavery, captivity of being held down and burdened by some other philosophy, some other system of thought, some other human tradition that we're adding on to Christ. And listen to how Paul describes those other systems of of thoughts, those philosophies. See what he says there? They are empty deceit. They have no value or truth at all externally, perhaps as we look at these philosophies, which we're going to think a little bit more about next week, maybe they have an appearance of wisdom, but they don't actually have any wisdom at all. Where Paul and Epaphras are teaching the word of truth, these other teachers are teaching deceit, falsehood, lies. And where Paul and Epaphras are proclaiming Christ, who is the mystery of God made known, these false teachers are teaching according to human tradition. Do you see it there? Human tradition. They're teaching things that have no divine revelation or instruction behind them. And are all what they have made up according to human thought or speculation. This is ultimately part of the message of the gospel of Christ. That in him we find all that we need. We find hope and we find joy and we find peace and we find so much more. But also apart from him or even if we end up trying to do things in addition to Christ, in our own strength, we're going to find ourselves completely empty, straining after things that we are never going to achieve or attain in this life. In many ways, it is exactly as Paul puts it there, right? That is a life of being in prison, of being taken captive, uh, and never being able to get out of it because we're never going to make it. I think that's what's lying behind Paul's use of the phrase there in verse 8, according to the elemental spirits of the world. The philosophy of these false teachers, they might at first glance have Christ in view, but actually because they are stripping Christ of his sufficiency, of his eminence over everything, over his enoughness, they're actually serving the purposes of evil spiritual forces who are seeking to once again trap these Colossian Christians and trap us in our sin and condemn us in our sin, showing us that there's no way out. In this way, as Paul finishes there in verse 9, all of this philosophy of the false teachers is summed up like this. It is not according to Christ. Now, at this point, Paul wants to hammer his message home. He wants to say, walk in Christ and not in or according to anything else. And so now he's going to help us to see the beauty, the goodness of that. Because in the next six verses, he's going to explain why we should do that. And that is because we are already filled to the full in Christ. In many ways, we've already seen this earlier in the letter too. But now Paul makes the fullness of Christ, a fullness that we have in Christ, completely clear to us. He tells us four specific ways that we are filled to the full in Christ in these verses. Read with me verses 9 to 10 and we'll see this fullness language here. And he's going to say in these verses, you are full in Christ because Christ is the fullness of God in you. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority back in colossians chapter 1 verse 19 just a few verses previously paul wrote similarly didn't he saying for in him christ all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and again here he is reminding us of who christ is christ is not just some slightly superior being to us he is god he is God who has taken on human form, and he is the one who has authority over all things. As a result, Paul's saying, you don't need to turn to anyone or anything else, because Christ is above anything and everything else, everyone else. And Christ invites us to come to him directly and personally. And do you see the incredible twist there at the start of verse 10? If we come to Christ... The reality is that we have ourselves been filled in him. Filled to the full in Christ. Paul doesn't make it explicit here, but but part of what he's saying must be that as you have trusted in Christ, the fullness of God, he has taken up residence in you by his Holy Spirit. This is the nearness of Christ to every single believer. We don't have to do anything special now to gain access to him because he is dwelling in us. We don't need to go anywhere else for some kind of higher experience. Christ, the fullness of God, is dwelling in us. Isn't that an incredible truth to remember as we go out from here into the rest of our weeks, the rest of our... Our days this afternoon, we go united to Christ, who is the fullness of God, who dwells in us, but not only that, I think then Paul is also hinting at something more in that phrase, "You have been filled in him," and that is that not only are you united you united in Christ, you enjoy this personal, special indwelling by the Holy Spirit every single day. But as you are united to Christ, so you also receive in him every spiritual blessing and benefit. And this is where he continues on as we now see these next uh, reasons that we are filled to the full in Christ. First of all, in verse 11, the benefit of being united to Christ, filled in him, is that he has given us power over sin. Verse 11, read with me, it says this. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, in reality, we could just stop here. We could stop here and spend the rest of this morning, the rest of this afternoon, the rest of this evening just talking about circumcision. What's it doing here? What's its meaning And I think these verses, also as they refer to baptism later, I think these verses are really helpful in getting us to think about circumcision and baptism as Old Testament and New Testament marks of being a part of God's people. But but for today, I want us to focus on the spiritual realities, uh, the fullness that Paul is pointing to as as he talks about these circumcision and baptism. See, as he talks about circumcision there in verse 11, Paul makes it clear that the Colossians, even as those who are Gentile believers, have been circumcised, but not as the Jewish Old Testament believers were circumcised physically, but instead they have in Christ been circumcised spiritually. See there in verse 11, it says, "...with a circumcision made without hands." As these Colossian believers, and as we today put our faith in Christ, Paul says something significant happens in your life. Something has been cut off. See there in verse 11 again? The body of the flesh put off. And that body of the flesh is symbolizing something. It is symbolizing our old, sinful, unbelieving, rebellious self, and all of the evil desires and practices that we lived in. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, in a very similar passage to the one we're at this morning, this putting to death of our old selves, cutting off of the body of flesh, means that we are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves to sin as we were before. Something decisive happens when we come to Christ and are united to Him. The power of sin is broken in our lives before, as the American uh, pastor and author Tim Keller puts it, this was true. Sinful desires so ruled over us that we could not see them even as sinful. And even if we did, we couldn't resist them. We were completely under their control. But that is no longer the case. With Christ, by his spirit dwelling in us, we have a new power at work in our lives. To see sin, first of all, and then to fight it, and ultimately to have victory over it. This doesn't mean victory is instantaneous. It's going to be a lifelong fight, isn't it? But if we are in Christ, we are on the right side of that fight. And the point is here that we don't need to look to something else, to some kind of physical practice, maybe, or, or look to some other spiritual power to help us overcome this sin. No, we come back to Christ. We have all that we need in Christ. We need to keep coming back to him and drawing on him, living under and according to his morally perfect rule more and more every single day. Now, we could say, again, so much more here, but let this truth encourage you this morning. If you are a Christian who, even as you recognize you are still sinful, longs to fight that sin, that should encourage you. It shows that you have been circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. He has changed your very nature, the core of your being, and your deepest desires. Because none of us would naturally seek to cut off sin and live according to Christ by ourselves. And so now keep on running to Christ in the fight. Ask him to continue to help you live according to your new identity that is in Christ, living increasingly every single day for him and not for those selfish desires that you once were slaves to. Here is good news for all of us who are in Christ this morning. We are filled to the full. In Christ, we have the power to fight sin in our lives and be victorious over it. That's the second thing. And then, on top of that then, Paul then goes on to give us a third way that we're filled to the full in verses 12 to 13, and that is that he has given us new life. In these uh, verses, the imagery shifts from circumcision now to baptism. And listen to how Paul explains this new life that we have, verses 12 and 13 having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. As those united to Christ by faith, Paul is saying that in a very real way, we actually died and were buried with Christ himself but of course that wasn't the end of the story because Christ rose and so did we and we have been made alive with him. We were dead, but now we're alive. This is the good news of the gospel. And how is that the case? Well, Paul says here it's by our baptism. But, but in that, of course, he isn't saying that, that, that there was some kind of magical, mystical way Uh, that a physical baptism unites us to Christ. But instead he's saying that baptism, as something that is commanded in the New Testament for all believers and as something that is always so closely associated with faith, faith in Christ, baptism physically and symbolically represents the internal faith of the believer and the corresponding spiritual realities that come with that, of dying with Christ and rising with him to new life. Baptism here corresponds with faith. And we can see that in the middle of verse 12 there too, if you look with me. Do you see how we're raised with Christ? Through faith in the powerful working of God. Through faith. Through faith. We this morning, if we are Christians, have been given new life. Now elsewhere, particularly in Romans 6, that corresponding passage to ours this morning, Paul associates our rising with Christ to the guarantee that that brings, that that we will, we will rise with him in the future, that death will not be the end for us. But here, he writes it in a different way. He says, we have already been raised with him. And the point here is this, yes, Christ's rising does absolutely guarantee your final resurrection from the grave, from the dead, but it also genuinely already gives us life in the here and now, as we share in Christ's resurrection life in our lives. Just think of this, the same power of God that was able to raise Christ from the dead is also now at work in you if you are in Christ. Paul says to the Colossians and to to all of us this morning, do not think that you you don't have life to the full, (laughs) that you need anything to add to your life because in Christ you have life to the fuller than you can even begin to imagine. You just need to stop and realize it. Christ is in you. Send your roots down deeper into him and draw on him and his power in your life every single day. You have been given new life. But even that isn't it, because Paul then gives us what, even one more reason why as Christians we have been filled to the full in Christ. And that is that he has given us complete forgiveness once and for all. Listen to these incredible words from that last uh, phrase of verse 13 and then Verse 14. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. As Paul wrote earlier, uh, we were once dead in our trespasses, our sin. Because the truth is that all of us have owed God our complete and utter obedience but we've time and time again not given that to him. That's the reality. It's crazy, isn't it? God made us. He loves us. He knows us. And he knows what's best for us. And he speaks to us. He reveals himself to us. But we refuse to listen time and time again. And the imagery here in verse 14, again, is really striking, isn't it? Our failure to live as we should, obeying our good creator God, that has accrued for us a record of debt, a debt that we simply cannot pay ourselves. And so we are dead. And we see there that not only do we have this debt, but every single day we're adding to it. Do you see? As in the uncircumcision of our flesh, we day by day continue to live, not according to God, but according to our sinful nature. The debt gets greater and greater and greater. But isn't this the best news? If we are in Christ Jesus this morning, that debt is gone, cancelled, completely wiped away. How is that possible? Because all of our sin, all of our failings, they were nailed to the cross of Christ. Christ bore our sin, and he paid the price for the debt, the debt that we could never pay, and the Father's judgment and wrath fell on him instead of us. As that famous song puts it, picking up here on this, this language of this verse, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Paul says, listen to this, Colossian Christians. Listen to this, people of great Vic. In Christ, you have complete forgiveness no more debt no more fear of death and judgment no more trying with all your might maybe to forget about sin or to work your way out of it by yourself no come to christ because in him you are completely utterly once and for all forgiven you have been made right with your god you are filled to the full in christ he has given you a forgiveness. A forgiveness that makes you right with your father God. And it means that you can come to him and rest in him. Rest in him now and rest in him forevermore. Verse 15 might have more in view than even, than even this. But I think above all it is saying this. You, you know those rulers and those authorities, those, those spiritual forces that would love to come against you and attack you as a Christian? Well, what was their biggest and best line of attack? It was your sin. It was your debt that you owed God. The devil, after all, is the great accuser, isn't he? He shows us our sin and he says, look, there's no way out. But listen to this language of verse 15. Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Like a victorious army general returning from war with prisoners chained behind him. So Christ has chained those spiritual forces who had come against you. On the cross, he has said, You rulers and authorities, you can't accuse him, you can't accuse her anymore. Their debt has been paid. Their sin has been forgiven. They are mine. You cannot touch them. This is what Christ has done for you if you are in him this morning. You are filled to the full in him. What more could he give us than what he's already given us? And ultimately, what he has given you is himself. This is your life if you are in Christ this morning. There is no room, there is no need to add anything else. No wonder Paul opened the section like he did, right, in verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." Next week, we're going to look at some of the specifics of what we could turn to in place of Christ. But for now, this is the question, I think, we need to think. Why would we walk in anything else when we have Christ? The fullness of God, the fullness of God dwelling in you, one who has given you power over sin, one who has given you new life now and to come, and one who has given you complete forgiveness. How are you going to hold fast as a Christian amongst the trials and troubles of life? Only ever by setting your roots down deeper and deeper into Christ. Reminding yourself of what you have in him every single day. Read about him, meditate on him, and go into every day resting on him and in him alone. How are you going to be built up as a Christian? How are you going to mature You're only ever going to do that if you're being built up in Christ. Getting to know him better, leaning into him more and more, the source of every spiritual blessing. Perhaps you read your Bible, you tick it off your list. Perhaps for some of you, you even search out some kind of Christian article of some kind to read. But how's your heart being affected as you do that? Does it love Christ even more as a result? Are you fixing your eyes more on him as a result or are you starting to look elsewhere? Be built up every single day in Christ. Delight in him. Purposefully seek to know him better and to love him more every single day. When you next open your Bible, here's a great thing to think, or maybe when you next meet up with another Christian believer, have this in mind. Make this your aim. I want to know Christ more and I want to love him more. I want to be built up in him because that is the only way that you will go strong strong and sturdy and steady. And I just love this. That final phrase there in verse 7, we'll come back to it. Abounding in thanksgiving. This is walking in Christ. Abounding in thanksgiving. And let me ask, is that true for you? As people look at you in your life, as you come into church each Sunday, as you go about your day-to-day lives, as people listen to what you say, do they know that you are walking in Christ? And do they know that because you are abounding in thanksgiving? Sure, life is changeable. It can be difficult. It can be almost unbearably tough at times. There's no getting around it. But Christ in you is never going to change, no matter your circumstances. And he has filled you to the full. That is your starting point every single day. Whether it's a day that's going to hold joy or sorrow, friendship or isolation, justice or injustice, no matter what your day will hold, you have Christ in you all the way. What would it look like for you this week to make this and aim, to every single day be increasingly abounding in thanksgiving for Christ and in Christ? Give that question uh, some thought as you talk to others after the service or, or as you drive home because that would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? Just imagine a church full of people who are abounding in thanksgiving every single week. Wouldn't that be such a blessing and such a joy? Paul has made it clear, hasn't he, in this section, we are filled to the full in Christ. And here's what I want to finish. It's a, it's a quote to leave you with for you to reflect on as you, as you go on from here, from a late pastor from the United States, Ray Ortland Sr. Here is what he says, speaking about Jesus' fullness and our fullness in him. He says, Always begin your thinking and your planning and your deciding from the standpoint of Jesus' fullness in your life. Always begin with the plenty of God. Face life with all you have in Christ. Never face life from the standpoint of all the problems and all the needs and all the difficulties. Always begin your standing in Christ. You have rivers of living water. Christ in you, fullness of grace and truth. That is what Jesus gives us. Let's pray together as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you so much that not only can we receive him and know forgiveness and joy, but we can daily walk in him. Lord, thank you that he is the source of every spiritual blessing. And Lord, we want as a people to respond to your word here. We want as your people to come to know Christ more, to send our roots down into him, to be built up in him, to be established in him. Lord, we want to abound in thanksgiving in him and for him. Lord, thank you for reminding us again of these glorious, incredible truths that we, we in Christ, we are filled to the full. That we have forgiveness. We have power over sin. Lord, that you are dwelling in us, the fullness of God. And Lord, thank you that you have given us new life, new life now, and life, an eternal life to come. Lord, help us to rejoice in Christ and to fix our eyes increasingly on him. We thank you for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, close by singing this uh, song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, which is picking up on a bit of what we saw last week, but then fixing our eyes on this mystery of Christ, Christ who has come to us. Let's uh, stand and sing. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Do take a seat again. Do hang around and, uh, and continue those. Comments.